Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, as we're continuing this new series in Corinthians, focused on being in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? And this morning we're going to think about an interesting topic of weakness, to be weak in Christ. So I'm thinking about, you know, all the, the, the movies. There's so many movies that... Um, have main characters be um, weak in some kind of way. And how a lot of times these inspirational movies are very popular. Like I think way back in the day, for those of you guys who remember, the, the football movie Rudy, right? that small college football player that just really wouldn't have a chance on a football team, but yet because of his hard work, his big heart, right, uh, he, he, he makes it on. Or a little more recent, the Hobbit, if you watch The Hobbit, right? The Hobbit, this little small creature that's called to do this massive task that's bigger than him, right? And, and that series just, just did so well in, in, in the movie theaters. And you get more, more recent, and you just think about Marvel movies, right? And think about Marvel characters. A lot of the Marvel characters have certain weaknesses about them. Like think about Captain America, if you, if you know Captain America, right? He didn't start off big and buff, right? He was small and scrawny. Right? And there's something about a character, a story, where the main character has some sort of weakness, inability, and yet they're, they're able to accomplish something bigger than them. And I think that it scratches this itch within us that I, I think you know, makes us, I think, have a desire to want to accomplish something bigger than ourselves, greater than we have the, the, the uh, capacity to do. And um, when you think about it, right, all of us have weaknesses in our lives. It could be certain, certain sins that, that we just have the, uh, the tendency to fall into. It could just be random kind of weaknesses that we're just deficient in. Like, like for me, like I'm the worst at uh, putting things together, putting things together. Like I, I once, uh, I mentioned this a long time ago, I once put together a book, bookshelf, and I, I finished it, and I was like, hey, something's wrong. And, and the thing is, I, I put the bookshelf on backwards uh, and, and had to dismantle it. Uh, I once put together a crib, uh, terrible together. This morning, we had to put together a piano stand, and I put it on backwards. <laughs> and I needed help. Um, and it, 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 certain kinds of weaknesses, right? We, I think the tendency is when we face a situation where our weakness kind of comes out, I know for me the tendency is to, to, to flee from it. Yeah, like I'm not even going to get into that situation because I know I'm weak in it. And a, a part of that also is the embarrassment that comes with being weak, right? Because no one wants to be embarrassed, right? No one wants, uh, I, I, I don't want people to find out, wow, I'm weak in this area, right? Because we have this tendency of wanting to be strong. We all have areas where we're weak in, and we can have the tendency to, to run when maybe even God is calling us, possibly, to step into that situation in weakness. Think about Jesus, right? Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven, came to earth, became human. He became, in a sense, killable, right? He could die, and he did die. And it was on the cross where he was stripped naked, beaten, bloodied, weak, right? And, and, the, and the embarrassment and shame that comes with that. 
on the cross, God himself. And yet it was in this place of ultimate weakness and, and humiliation, right, that the work of salvation, our salvation, was accomplished for us. And so we're going to think about this morning, God's power through our weakness and how really we can lean into that and not flee from it. In Corinthians, right, we've been learning that this church was really, really messy. They had so many issues, and we're going we're gonna to read through them. And we've been focusing on, well, you know, if a church has no issues, no problems, then it's probably a dead church, right? Because the fact that there is a mess and there's issues is evidence that there is life. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, a church should stay in the mess, but look to Jesus to lead them out of it. But mess and issues is a sign of life. And this church was alive, but they had a lot of things that, that they needed the Spirit to be working powerfully in. That's why Paul wrote this letter and addressed, as we're going to be seeing, many, many issues that were going on in the church. And we looked at how there were rivalries within the church. They were not getting along. They were looking down on one another. And Paul reminded them of the gospel that brought them together. He reminded them of the power of God through the gospel. Last week we read about how the gospel is foolishness to those who don't believe. Right? To, the, um, uh, to the Greek, it, it was just foolish to, to think about God dying on a tree because that's a sign of weakness. Right, their, their gods didn't do that. And if they did, it, it was a sign of weakness. So when they heard about the gospel, they would think, this, is, this, this does not sound like something I want to follow. This is dumb. Why would God want to die on a tree? For the Jew, right, that, that was just detestable. The idea that, number one, God would become human, that's unheard of. But number two, that God would die on a tree. Because in the Old Testament, in the law, it said that anyone who dies on a tree is, is cursed. Is cursed. And so the thought that Jesus would die on a tree was just detestable. But yet Paul says in, in, in uh, talks about in 1 Corinthians, it is the power of God, even though it is foolishness to those who don't believe. That's in verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. Those who are being saved. The gospel is foolishness to those who don't believe. But for us, right, we know that it is the power of God. That is the way that God has redeemed us and saved us. And here's the thing. Paul's going to go on and say, not just the gospel, right, but God will use the foolish and the weak in order to accomplish his plans. That's what I'm going to be focusing on today. God loves using weak, average People consider nobodies, the unspectacular, the broken in the eyes of the world to accomplish his plan to redeem the world. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, starting with verse 26. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and a despise in the world 
what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. All right, so God's, I mean, Paul is bringing the church back to their, the beginning, when they first started following Jesus. And even before that, before they became Christians. And he uses this word, <coughs> called. Right? Remember when, when, what you were when God called you. When we think of the word called, we'll often use it in terms of vocation. Right? Like, what is your calling in life? What job are you, gonna, you, know, are you, are you seeking? But when Paul uses this word calling, it's not talking about occupation. He's talking about the moment when God summoned you to himself. When God broke through our dead hearts, when we heard the gospel, and we responded to that invitation to trust in Jesus. We were like um, uh, corpses in the ground, buried, dead in our sin. And then God called us through the preaching of the gospel. And that moment we heard the gospel and God awakened us, gave us life, and we responded and, and repented of our sin and trusted in Jesus. That's the calling that Paul is talking about when God called them to himself. <clears throat> so Paul's saying, okay, go back to that moment when you came to know Christ. Think about what you were, right? When you first was a Christian, it, it wasn't a pretty picture. In fact, um, many of the Christians in this church they were not considered wise or powerful. They were considered foolish and weak. See, in, in this Greek culture, and it's just like our culture, intellect, the ability to, to show off what you know, right, was, was highly valued. Or think about all the Greek philosophers that we study in school or that come from, 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 from this area. Many of the members of this church, they weren't the elite when it came to intellect. They weren't the top of their class. They weren't the ones being accepted into those top-tier colleges. <clears throat> they weren't scoring the highest on, the, uh, on their SATs. Um, they, they weren't the ones with even street smarts, right? The people say, oh, you know, if, you, if you're not that sharp in school, you probably got street smarts. No, right? Paul calls and says they, they were, they, a lot of them were foolish. They were not wise. Not only that, many of them were not powerful. They were Weak. They didn't have a lot of influence. They didn't have a lot of authority. Uh, they were probably easily influenced by other people. They're probably the kind of people that get pushed around a lot by the strong. They probably quit things when, when life gets hard. Or when, at the first sight of pain, they'll, they'll back away. Or, or the idea of sacrifice, they're allergic to. Right? This is the weak. And Paul said, okay, many of you, when you came to Christ, you were weak. Not many of them were from noble birth, right? Uh, that, that means that they had poor reputations. They didn't come from families or lineages uh, that others would be, have been impressed by. So like they, they didn't have Kardashians attached to the end of their name. Um, well, you know, maybe that's, that's not a good thing. Um, but not only that, right, that term noble birth also implies that they were immoral as well. They had a reputation of being shady, someone that you wouldn't want your kids hanging out with. They had a bad rep. And so that was a good amount of the people that God redeemed in Corinth. And in verse 28, it reads, God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, 
what is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. In verse 29, so that no one may boast in his presence. Right, so God, will, he chooses the insignificant, the despised, the weak, in order to show off his power and wisdom. That is really encouraging, isn't it? And when we think about it, God has always done this in, in, throughout the Bible. Right, think about the Old Testament. God chooses the weak and those who should be disqualified and uses them for his purposes. Like, think about Jacob. Oh, that guy had a lot of issues, right? One of the things was he lied and deceived. He deceived his parents. He deceives his brother who ended up wanting to kill him. Right? He's a guy that I think a lot of us would say, dude, this guy should not be used by God. And of course, he doesn't deserve to be used by God. But God changes him and uses him right, to be the foundation of, of what would be Israel. Think about Moses, right? Most of us know Moses. God uses him to lead his people out of Egypt towards the promised land. What, what many people don't, don't remember is that Moses couldn't speak. He stuttered. Right? When we envision a leader, right, if they're unable to speak and communicate well, probably we'd say, ah, you know, that's, they probably shouldn't be leading. But Moses couldn't speak well. In, in fact, he, he, he needed Aaron to help him, his brother Aaron. But yet God didn't say, ah, can't speak well, something's wrong with your tongue. No, I'll choose somebody else. No, God chose Moses, who by the way also was a murderer. Right? He killed an Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Think about Gideon, one of the judges of Israel who God raises up to lead Israel against her enemies. Gideon was super fearful and was hiding from his enemies when God came to meet him. And the, the ironic thing is when, when, when the angel shows up to Gideon, he calls him mighty warrior. And here Gideon is, is hiding from Midianites. Gideon wasn't strong and brave. He was, he was scared. Rahab was a prostitute. right? Just a messy life. And yet God chose her to be used to be a part of Jesus' lineage. Right? If we were to think about, okay, who should be in the genealogy of Jesus, it should be all the solid, upright people. No, Rahab is a part of the genealogy. And then, of course, there's David, right? Murderer, adulterer, among some of the lists, should have been disqualified. There's Elijah, the prophet. Right, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, whom we, you, know, you don't hear it a lot, but was suicidal. Right? And when he fled for his life from Jezebel, he basically told God, God, I want to die. I want to die. Kill me. And yet God used this suicidal prophet powerfully. Jonah ran away from God when God called him to do something that's bigger than himself. And God sent a, a, a large fish, probably a well, right, to, to change his mind. Not just the Old Testament, right? We got examples in the New Testament. Right? Think about Peter, right? This loud mouthed guy who ends up denying Jesus, right? Something that you'd say that's totally, totally the worst thing you could do deny your master and teacher. And yet Jesus comes and restores him and uses him to be one of the leaders in the church. Mary Magdalene was possessed by demons. 
right? Maybe for some of us, right? The last person we would think that Jesus would use is someone that's demon-possessed. And yet Jesus freed her and used her. The Samaritan woman who was divorced multiple times, has had messy, broken relationships. God used her, Jesus used her to reach an entire city. The author of this letter, 1 Corinthians, Paul himself, right, was a murderer. And yet God uses him. So think about for us, like, what would we say is our brokenness, our weakness, where we would say, okay, we would think, hey, God can't use us in our family, in our workplace, in our community because of this certain thing that we have in our lives. Or even think about it as a church, right? Maybe we might think, man, like we're so small. How can we be used to have an impact on people in Honolulu, people in this valley, with how small that we are? But yet, God loves to use the weak. He loves to use the insignificant. He loves to use the broken to accomplish his purposes. He used, right, 11, if you count Judas, right? I'm not counting Judas. 11 of the disciples, right, to start with them to change the world. Change the world. So that the gospel would end up reaching even in Hawaii. Now, maybe as we're reading this, some of us are like, well, you know, honestly, like, I did have some intellect in high school. I was in G, GT. You guys remember GT? I didn't get chosen for GT. I was bummed. GT, I was part of GT, right? Or, 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 or maybe you came from uh, a well-known family. You had popularity. You had power. How do you fit into all this? Well, think about it like this, right? Everything that we have is from God. Our intellect, our, our influence, our skills, whether it's leadership or, or any, anything else, all of those are gifts from God. Even the family that we were born into, if we come from a more prominent family, well-known family in the community, even the family that we were born into wasn't our choice, was it? It wasn't, right? It was God's choice. And so when we think about it, all of us, right, all of us are truly weak without God. All of us are truly broken without God. That's why we came to know Christ and trust in Christ, because we realized that we couldn't live life and do life on our own. James, in the book of James, he, he says that we are but a vapor, here today, gone tomorrow. That's how fragile we are. And yet God desires to use the weak and the fragile to accomplish his purposes. And you know, when we became Christians, followers of Jesus, that weakness and foolishness, it, it, it didn't change. It just looks it looks different, right? As we gain wisdom from following Jesus, right, we'll, we're going to look like fools to the world. We're going to have times where right, we're going to be giving of our time and our resources to accomplish God's mission, and that's going to look foolish to other people. They're going to say, why aren't you taking care of yourself and treating yourself? We're going to look foolish when it comes to taking certain stances on social issues while the world preaches how we should believe, whether it's you know, sexuality or gender, life in the womb to the tomb, all these different issues that the world pressures us in. We're going we're gonna to look foolish when we stand upon God's word as having authority over our lives and our practices. We'll look foolish for believing in ancient book, as people will say, that, is, that some will say is outdated. But not only that, right? We're going to look weak 
as well. When others mistreat us, right, we're called by Jesus to turn the other cheek, to not fight fire with fire, to not retaliate. And to the outside world, that's going to look weak. To our family members, we're like, why don't you fight back? Why don't you tell that person off? That coworker would say, why don't you just get them back? Right, you're in the position to do it. We're going to look weak when we don't. We can look weak when we're not trying to advance our own lives. Even in the workplace, right? It's cutthroat to get that promotion. Right? And other people around us are doing everything that they can, even stepping on other people just to get that, that, that position. But as followers of Jesus, right, we, 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 we work well for the Lord, but also right, we serve those in the workplace. We don't use other people for our benefit. But to the outside world, that's going to look like weakness. Why aren't you charging and stepping over people to get what, what, what you deserve? will look weak. But within that weakness and foolishness, God's glory shines through. So God chooses the weak. He chooses us to work powerfully through. Because here's the second thing, he gets glory from the weak. God receives glory through the weak. Let's look at verse 30 and 31. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because right, they recognize that God alone could save them because they couldn't save themselves. God alone could change them and make them more like Jesus because they didn't have the power to do that. Now, when we think about, you know, within our own lives, we believe that God can use people that are weak, and broken. But maybe we struggle with thinking that he'll do that for us, that God would use us in our weakness and brokenness, whatever that weakness is. Well, these verses remind us that if God chose you, he has given us everything that we need to live for him. He's given us in verse 30 and 31, his righteousness, his sanctification, his redemption. Right? In other words, he, he saved us out of our sin and freed us from sin over our lives. He has given us right standing with him so that we are righteous with God. But not only that, he is our sanctification. He's the one that's making us more like Jesus. He's going to help us in our weaknesses where we're prone to give in to sin, to anger, to lust, to pride, to greed. He is going to help us overcome those sins. He is our sanctification. He is our life. And as we allow God to work through us and in us, in these situations, in our families, in our, in our workplaces, in our communities, God receives the glory. He receives the glory from us. Because where we recognize it definitely wasn't us. Right? If anyone boasts, boasts in the Lord. Right? How many times have we been in situations where we didn't think we would make it? We cried out to God, Right? Whether it was helping a family member, whether it was a situation, drama at the workplace, maybe it's within our own hearts where we cried out to God and he came through. And what, what did we do? We said, thank you, Jesus. Because we knew that without him, we wouldn't have made it. But not only that, but, but other people around us may even see God's power working through us in our weaknesses. So I want to encourage us, Three ways 
how we can respond and live in Christ with the weaknesses that we have. Three ways. And we're going to see this in, in Paul's life and his example. Let's look at verse 1 in chapter 2. Paul says this, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. When Paul came to Corinth, right, to preach the gospel and then to plant a church there, right, he's saying he didn't come in strength. He came in weakness and, and trembling. See, in, in, in Paul's day, if you were a traveling teacher, spreading your philosophy, the way you would enter in is you'd come in to a city to a town, and then you would give this great speech using really big words that you'd get in a thesaurus, just impressing people with your, 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 your word choice. Uh, and not only that, you would, you would go about praising the city that you, were, that you were speaking in, and then you would list off a whole bunch of accomplishments that make you credible to listen to. Right? If you had a PhD, you'd make sure you'd mention you've got a PhD when you're speaking to that group. So that's how a teacher would approach speaking in a place like Corinth. They'd come with this, this really, really just decked out speech that would just impress them uh, with how much you knew. But Paul says, I didn't come in like that. I didn't come in with, with power and authority. I was weak. I was, I, was, I was trembling. I didn't come in with all of my personal achievements. See, Paul wasn't a great speaker as well. Right, we, we learn from the New Testament that people weren't impressed with Paul. They'd say, okay, his letters are pretty, pretty spot on, but in person, he's not very influential. He's not someone that you would invite to do a TED Talk. He just didn't have stage presence. He, he didn't have a powerful uh, speaking abilities like, like another preacher called Apollos, who was very passionate, someone that riled people. No, Paul wasn't like that. Right? He was very ordinary. You know that maybe high school teacher that has a monotone voice that you just kind of fall asleep to? Like, that's more like Paul. And if we were to kind of assess him, right, we'd probably say, you know, this guy is not going to be a very successful preacher because he's just not that well-versed in speaking. He's got to take some, some training. That's Paul. He came in in weakness and, and trembling because he knew, right, that he was doing a holy task of preaching the gospel, and that he could not change people's lives. He didn't have the ability to. He had to rely on the Spirit. He, Paul didn't try to become something that he's not. He, tried, he, he didn't try to transform into one of these popular speakers or teachers in the ancient world. Maybe we have the tendency, right, when we see weaknesses in our lives, to try to be like somebody else. When we have people in our lives with certain personalities that we're attracted to, that we think are very, very um, influential, and are like, okay, I want to be like them. And so we get out of our own personality in order to be somebody else, but it's kind of weird, right? Because you're not being yourself. 
and that's what happens when we think that, that everything rises and falls on, on us. But the good news is of the gospel, right, is that it doesn't fall on us. It's the power of God. And so what that does, it allows us to be who we are. So maybe for some of us, like we see a certain parent or certain, you know, someone else's spouse, and we're like, I want to be like them. I want to parent like them. I want to be cool like them. I want to be fun like them. Right? And then we try to be someone that we're not. Or we see one, someone in the workplace that everybody likes, and we're like, oh, I got to be funny like that like that lady at work or like that guy at work. And so we try to be like them, right? We're not comfortable in our own skin. See, Paul wasn't like that. Paul was, was, was content being who God made him to be and trusting the power of the Spirit. Now, what this doesn't mean is it doesn't mean we don't get better at what we do, right? It doesn't mean we, continue, we stop learning and growing and, 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 and uh, sharpening our craft, whatever that would be, being better in our relationships by God's grace. But what, it does, but what it does mean is that we don't have to be someone that we're not. And we, don't, and, and we, we can trust that God will work through us and that he will get the glory. So here's the first point is we don't need to make it about ourselves. We don't need to be about glorifying ourselves. Because it's all about glorifying God. Again, Paul did not try to be something that he's not to get glory for himself. But rather, his goal, his intention was the glory of God. Here's the second way we live in our weakness. We, we see weakness as opportunity. See weakness as opportunity for God's power to shine through. People heard Paul speak about uh, speak the gospel, and they were brought to saving faith in Jesus, even though Paul wasn't this great speaker, because it was God who was transforming their lives. Paul didn't run away from this opportunity, even though he was weak in it. I mentioned this in the beginning, but we might have the, the tendency to run away when we're in a situation where we might feel weak in, because of embarrassment. But yet, it might be in those situations that God is calling us to lean into it. So for example, maybe some of us, right, it's in relationships, right? We feel weak in a certain relationship. We're worried that we'll just get into conflict, get into an argument with that person. Maybe it's a friend, a spouse. And maybe our tendency is just to to run away, to avoid the person because of our weakness. But it's an opportunity then to trust God, say, God, I need help to love and engage with this person. Maybe we'll have the tendency to, to get angry and frustrated. Right? Instead of running, ask God for the power to grow in patience in that situation. Maybe it's a workplace situation where we're at work and, and uh, there's a situation where somebody is just being mistreated, overlooked, and God has been leading us to help this person out. But we're kind of timid, we're kind of shy, Right? We feel weak, we're afraid of, of what others might think, and we need the power of God to help us to support that coworker. Maybe it's sharing the gospel. We, we feel just weak there. We're worried about not answering all their questions. We're worried about what that neighbor or friend will think about us. We need the power of God to help us to share his gospel. When we see a situation where we see our weakness, Instead of thinking, uh-oh, I'm weak, that's embarrassing, run away, think about it as this could be an opportunity for God's power to shine through. Because if we don't step into it, we're going to miss out. 
we're going to miss out on seeing God work powerfully in and through us. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. Paul's not saying, oh, I'm happy to be weak for weakness sake, but he's saying I'm boasting in Christ, or I'm boasting in my weaknesses because it is in those weaknesses that God's power will be more clearly seen. And he himself would experience God's power that much more. So let's have a, a, um, a perception shift. This week, we're going to have situations where we're going to feel weak. Instead of jumping to and focusing on ourselves, look to God and say, whoa, this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for God to work powerfully in and through us, in our inabilities, in our brokenness. Here's the last thing live in God's weakness, or to live in our weaknesses, it's to trust the Spirit. Trust the Spirit. Back in verse, verse 4, when Paul says, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom. Again, he's not a good speaker. So that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Right? This is a demonstration of the Spirit's power. It is the Spirit who converts and, 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 and gives a person new life, not Paul. It is the Spirit who opens up a person's eyes to see Jesus and to turn to Jesus. It wasn't Paul. Paul simply had to share the good news. It was the Spirit who accomplished that in the hearts of those who turn to Christ. Trust the Holy Spirit. This is the same Spirit who empowered King David. It's the same spirit who empowered the judges of Israel to rule and to accomplish great tasks beyond their own abilities. This is the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. That spirit, the Spirit of God, lives in every one of His people to accomplish things in our lives that we could not do on our own. Let me ask us a question personally, right? What in your life are you doing right now that you could say, I cannot do that on my own? Because if, we're, if we have nothing in our lives that we think we can't do on our own, then how can we then? There's this joy that we're experiencing of, of recognizing, wow, like, I couldn't do it. God did it. And we're just sitting back and being able to, to go along for the ride. Right? And there's, there's a special joy in that. Being used by God to do something that we have no business doing because we don't have the ability to do it. And so trust in the Spirit. Same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, He's working in every one of us who believes. And one of the ways we remember that, uh, that we have the Spirit, is, is remembering the gospel. And we do that through communion. We're going to have a time where we're going to be taking communion uh, together. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't have a communion cup, we have cups in the back. I've got to actually grab one right now. So if you need a cup, go grab one in the back. And we're going to be doing communion uh, together, remembering uh, the death of Christ. And through his death, we 
have the Spirit in us by God's grace. So if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to, to grab a communion cup. Again, we have them on the back table. We have them um, right outside as well. And we're going to take it together as followers of Jesus. We remember his body that was broken for us in weakness. Right? The Son of God bled for us. And yet it was in that weakness the greatest salvation was accomplished. And so we take the bread remembering his body broken for us. So you can go ahead and open up the side with the, the, the cracker and let's take of the cracker reminding ourselves of his body. Jesus shed his blood on the cross for our sins. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. The blood symbolizes his life. A life for a life. And it's because we are in Christ, right, we have full redemption, full adoption, full sanctification. And so we drink of the juice, remembering of his life given for us. So let's go ahead and do that together. And then one way we respond in gratitude to God's work in our lives is through advancing God's work through the local church. Uh, one way you do that is through financial giving. You can do that in the box in the back or online at harbornuwanu.org. Well, let's go ahead and respond to this good news of being in Christ together through song. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for Jesus. In him, Lord, uh, our weaknesses, Lord, bring you glory. Because in them, Lord, you work powerfully through us broken vessels. Vessels that, that because of our sin, because of our foolishness, because of our weaknesses, are unable to glorify you. But in your great love, you redeemed us and filled us with your spirit and empower us to do a work that we could not do on our own. So we want to trust you, Holy Spirit, in our lives. And we respond in gratitude to Jesus and his sacrifice now. It's in his name we pray. Amen.